Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson, and welcome to the weekly vlog. Oh my gosh, I have a topic for this week. Alcohol. Drinking. Can you believe I have never shot a vlog on the topic of alcohol? It's true. It's true. And, you know, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There are some limitations in my perspective. There's some limitations in all of our perspectives. We only bring the perspective that we bring. And I have a particular perspective on drinking and my food addiction recovery journey, which is that I wasn't drinking already by the time I started trying to handle my food. So I never had to confront the issue that so many people coming into Brightline Eating are faced with, which is this wait, what? Wait, what? Are you telling me that to lose all my excess weight and keep it off long term and to be free from cravings and food obsession and to live in a bright body, I have to stop drinking alcohol completely? Wait, wait, what? (laughs) Um, It didn't land that way for me because I was already sober. And actually, by the time bright line eating started, I was 20 years sober. 20 years sober. So, uh, you know, and I, I had not just a little drug and alcohol problem. I had a really, really bad life-threatening, gutter drunk, you know, crack addicted <laughs> drug and alcohol problem. So I wasn't really debating going back, you know, I wasn't thinking, gee, maybe, you know, uh, yeah, no, I just wasn't. So, I have no firsthand experience with being smacked in the face with that double take of, um, wait, what? You have to give up alcohol altogether. So in this vlog, I'm not actually going to tell my story because my story is I quit drinking a long time ago and then I struggled with food and, you know, finally, uh, am living in my bright body and, uh, you know, feeling grateful and happy, but alcohol wasn't really an issue. I'm going to tell other people's stories. Um, because I have coached a lot of people and watched a lot of people. And I do know that a lot of people struggle with the alcohol piece of this. And as a matter of fact, in Bright Lifers, we have a whole, we call it a special interest group. It's a whole private group that is called Free from NMD. NMD stands for Not My Drink, which is the Bright Line Eating acronym for, you know, those alcoholic beverages that we don't drink anymore. Um, There's a whole group called Free from NMD that is specifically tailored to uh, people who want to give and receive support around the topic of giving up alcohol, both uh, um, successfully, completely, struggling mightily, um, experimenting with uh, trying alcohol and working it into the Bright Line Eating program, like all of that, right? Um, It's quite the topic for some people. And I know a lot of people for whom alcohol was uh, really as big an issue, if not a bigger issue than the food uh, or right in parallel. So I want to tell some of those stories. And um, yeah, that's really the only way that I can come at this alcohol topic is by talking about other people's experience coming into Bright Line Eating. So I know someone in Bright Line Eating who um, got exposure to Bright Line Eating through our live events And he was in his late 20s and decided 
to give bright line eating a try, kind of, sort of, he called it slight line eating at first, which just involved letting go of wine, letting go of gluten and some other things and just kind of tried to clean up his diet. He came back to the, he was a videographer at the family reunion. He came back to the family reunion year after year to do the video work and over time kind of got more of the drift of what was going on around here. And finally, in late 2018, decided to really do bright line eating and gave up alcohol altogether. But sidebar, he'd actually been struggling with alcohol for a long time. Also mentally, just sort of thinking I should probably quit drinking. Turns out he's not a food addict. He's a three on the susceptibility scale, but he's a 10 on the alcohol addiction susceptibility scale. So he gave up alcohol completely when he started doing bright line eating in December of 2018 and has not had a drink since. And the abstinence from alcohol is actually the biggest piece for him. Now, he did lose 40 pounds by, uh, doing bright line eating, but he's only a three on the food addiction susceptibility scale. So he can kind of um, lapse with his food here and there. Although when he's home, he mostly just eats bright. And then when he's on the road or out with other people, he sort of lapses with his food. And he's maintained his bright body, like really right sized for him um, since I think about April of 2019. So that's one story. And uh, absolute abstinence from alcohol, true sobriety is part of what, uh, his bright journey looks like. Um, I know someone else in our community who came in above 300 pounds and very alcohol addicted and very food addicted and did the wait, what I got to quit drinking. Like that was her story for sure. And she embraced over time, the need to abstain from alcohol, but it was really a one day at a time thing and quite the evolution. And she considers herself a woman in recovery on all levels from all of it, from alcohol, from food. And she's living in her bright body now, uh, a body that's right sized for her. And writes a lot in our community about both the alcohol piece for her and the food piece. And I believe she has not had a drink since she started bright line eating. And I believe she has not broken her bright lines either. Uh, and she is maintaining a huge weight loss and also a profound transformation in her approach to life through the lens of accepting that she was an alcoholic, that she uh, was addicted to food and that she needs to be in recovery to live the kind of life that she wants to live. Now, I coached someone else in bright line eating who was at maintenance, had taken off all her excess weight. So she was living in her bright body. She was a six on the susceptibility scale, the food addiction susceptibility scale. And what she wanted coaching around was that she was reincorporating some alcohol. And she'd been doing it for a while and it was working. She was, uh, she didn't break her bright lines ever, but she had a planned, I mean, we can debate whether this is breaking your bright lines, but that's kind of what she wanted to talk about. She's like, look, once a week, maybe once every other week, I have one or two glasses of wine at a social event and I plan it 
And I coached her and I sort of got in there. I was really curious because she sounded very peaceful. I asked her, you know, do you ever want more? Does it ever lead to uh, breaking your food bright lines either at the party or later? Um, do you feel free? And it turned out it was all working for her really well. The only thing that she didn't feel free about was this niggling feeling that she was breaking the rules. Her food controller part was like, you can't be bright if you're having wine. And that was the only place where any disquiet was entering her psyche. Other than that, her behavior and her um, feelings about it all were incredibly peaceful. Now, again, she was a six on the susceptibility scale. And I bring that up because from my perspective, that's the cutoff. When I coach people, as I'm um, sort of just observing the landscape from all the thousands of people I've coached, uh, I ask where they, when, I, when they ask about alcohol, I ask where they are on the susceptibility scale. And what I'm thinking in my head is if you're a six or lower on the food addiction susceptibility scale, the alcohol experiment might work for you. If you're seven or above on the food addiction susceptibility scale, uh, it probably won't work um, because I've coached so many people who are sevens, eights, nines, tens, especially the nines and tens, my goodness, on the susceptibility scale. And the alcohol experiment doesn't work for them. Um, what I often see is uh, a host of problems. One is that when they drink, then they eat. They can't just, maybe not always, but some percentage of time when they drink, then they eat. Um, when another problem I see is uh, when they drink, then the question becomes, well, am I going to at this party or not at this party? And is it just going to be one? What if I want a second one? Is a second one okay? And what they find is that the the squirrels in their head just become problematic, that they feel profoundly unfree just from the questioning around it all and the having to plan it and the what ends up happening, um, especially for folks who are higher on the susceptibility scale, is that the the run up to the event where they're planning a planned exception with alcohol becomes such um, uh, a mind wheel that that it it robs their freedom. Like suddenly they're not free from food because they're thinking about what they're going to consume, imbibe, eat, whatever it is on Friday, and it's only Monday. Right. And, and it's maybe it's not even till the end of the month and they're spending like all month thinking about it. So, I mean, that's one of my litmus tests is if I'm thinking about, uh, anything that I'm going to be consuming days and days from now or later today or whatever, like not, not now. Right. Um, that means I'm not free. And I, that I don't, I don't want that. I really love to keep my food where. I'm just never thinking about it until it's time to prep the meal and I'm eating the meal. Even then, I'm not really thinking about it. I'm just kind of doing it. And um, and it's all neutral. It's really neutral. So I've seen it rob so many people of their freedom. Now, this is all stuff they're discovering. I'm not I'm not uh, telling any of uh, them any of this. As a matter of fact, I tend to be pretty hands-off around people's experimentation. Um, I have a saying around here, which is, I never deny anyone their research. Like, uh, w- what I often do, though, is report back to you the results of people's research in aggregate, because I find that that's, that's, um, that's not one expedition. That's, um, that's data on average that 
I think it behooves all of us to know, and it's certainly information I would want to know. Uh, I'm a 10 plus 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 on the susceptibility scale, and if I didn't have a problem with drugs and alcohol, I probably would be considering the planned exception um, to have a glass of red wine with my husband at um, dinner or whatever. Even with my history, it's something I've considered here and there, and uh, I would want to know, you know, from the the uh, head coach at Brightline Eating, like, how does that experiment tend to go? And the answer is, for anyone north of six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the susceptibility scale, it tends not to go well. Um, and sometimes it's sort of, um, you know, a good lesson learned. Other times it really puts people into um, a tailspin that's hard for them to recover from. I see it go, go both ways. I can't really predict, you know, in your case, for example, uh, whether it would be, you know, just, um, oh, good to know that didn't really work. Or what, what, what often happens, I coached this woman for a long time who was a 10 on the susceptibility scale. She'd never really had a weight problem, but she had a, uh, an eating disorder problem and a lot of obsession with her food. And she did the experiment with alcohol for years. And, um, what I saw is it just gobbled up a lot of time. Like it was the problem du jour on and off, on and off, on and off for in her Brightline eating journey for, I don't know, three years where, you know, she frequently went with friends and stuff to, to Mexico and her husband and a couple of other couples and they would want to, um, they would be drinking and, you know, she, she knew she could have a glass of wine. She knew that wasn't a problem. Um, it was really just all the thinking around it that eventually she just decided, I don't want to spend my life thinking about, you know, the eight glasses of wine I drink a year, you know, that's not a life. And I said, I agree with you, (laughs) right? That's not a life. Um, so I want to tell you another story though. A woman wrote in for coaching around alcohol a while back. This was months ago. And it ended up being a very memorable for me coaching experience. What she wrote in was basically that she was newly at maintenance. She was loving the transition to her bright body. And her wife uh, was assuming that she would start drinking again, like reincorporate alcohol at some point. And she was kind of saying, I don't know that I should do that. What do you think? And her wife was like uh, investigating certain kinds of wine that have less sugar and less preservatives and are supposed to be healthier. And, you know, they had a ritual of sitting out on the porch at the end of the day and sharing a glass of wine together, each of them having a glass of wine and just looking out and watching the sunset. And she really wanted to go back to that shared, beautiful end of day ritual. And a part of her didn't, a part of her. So her question that she wrote in for coaching on was, you know, what do you think? Do I run the experiment or not? And I arrived to that coaching session really open-hearted and open-minded. I was not at all um, convinced about what she should do. Um, oftentimes, I think the right thing to do is to run the experiment. You don't know unless you try. Sometimes the risks are too high, though, and it doesn't make sense. So I asked her some questions. The first one, of course, is, where are you on the susceptibility scale? pause in there to see if you could uh, get that one before me. Yeah. Where are you on the susceptibility scale? And she was a nine. Okay. 
And through a long conversation, what came out was, and these are all just questions. I was just pulling information out of her. I was so curious. What came out was actually her wife wasn't putting any pressure on her at all. Not at all. And she said that they had a very healthy relationship and her wife would absolutely want her to do whatever was in her highest, best good. And there was a, a, a caretaker part of her that was advocating for her wife's perspective in her own mind and kind of assuming that her wife would miss those shared evenings too much and was really putting pressure on her, kind of on her wife's behalf, to go back to drinking wine. And what she realized was that that really wasn't her wife's pressure. That was her own internally generated pressure. And what we came to through the coaching session is that her highest, truest self did not want to go back to drinking alcohol, that she wanted to keep her lines bright. She loved counting her days. She did not want to give up her days. She didn't want to change the definition of how she counted her days. She just wanted to be bright. And she was so thrilled to have all that weight off finally. And um, I believe she was 60 years old and she just wanted to live her 60s healthy and svelte and just rocking life. And she she was more than happy to give up alcohol um, and embrace her new bright life. And so what our coaching session pivoted to was how to have a conversation with her wife to allow space for the grieving jointly, each of them and together about the loss of that evening ritual and the shared moments around alcohol, that that was a big deal and not to gloss over that. And to have an explicit conversation with her wife about how do we together construct a new ritual where we can share together and have as much connectedness, togetherness, love, and, you know, symbolic symmetry, whether it's like, okay, now we drink herbal tea. Or maybe the wife has a glass of red wine and the Brightliner has a cup of herbal tea um, on the porch at or iced tea if it's summer or whatever, um, unsweetened, um, you know, but jointly constructed, right? Jointly constructed. The message from the Brightliner to her wife being, I love you and I don't want to miss out on any shared moments of love and connection with you. And let's work together to both grieve and to find a new way, a new ritual, a new way to share time together. And also um, to explicitly, I don't know which finger I'm supposed to be on here, (laughs) to explicitly ask for her wife's support to say, this is a decision I've come to. This is what my highest self is calling me to. I love you. I respect you. And I'm asking for your support. Oh my gosh. If someone loves you, how could they say no to that? Right? Um, cause one definition of love is standing for the other person's highest good, right? Um, I think that's a beautiful definition of love. So they, those are some stories. That's a smattering of stories of people and their experiences with alcohol and bright line eating. You know, 
Um, by the book, the rules are there's no alcohol in bright line eating. And the reason we don't drink in bright line eating is that alcohol is sugar. I mean, molecularly, they're essentially the same molecule. It's just that, um, alcohol has this additional ethanol, uh, component on it that, uh, breaks off and then, uh, wrecks havoc in your system by causing an intoxication and leading to all kinds of, um, less wise behavior than you might have engaged in if you hadn't just imbibed that alcohol. But that ethanol compound is attached to the sugar, right? Which is then left free to uh, wreck its havoc in your system. And so um, alcohol produces a double whammy. Even one could very convincingly argue worse than just eating straight table sugar, right? It's sugar plus an intoxicant and inhibition lowerer. So um, you don't want to be imbibing alcohol on bright line eating. However, it's also on the books that there's no police in bright line eating. And uh, we never deny anyone their research. So everyone's going to have to um, forge a path that works for them. And, you know, what I do around here is, um, I don't know if you know that Dr. Seuss book and movie, I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees, right? There's this little, there's this little guy, all the trees are getting cut down. And there's this little guy who pops out of the tree and he says, I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees. Well, I'm Susan Pierce Thompson, and I speak for the brains that are heavily food addicted that want to be free already. That's my job in this world. And so what I do is I say, don't drink, because that what, that's what the brain that's heavily food addicted needs to heal and get free and peaceful and to allow your body to get back to its right size. That's what's needed is complete abstinence from alcohol. But that doesn't mean that that's your right path. And every brain is different. Every body is different. Every life is different. And every set of priorities is different. So by all means, you chart your path. And um, it's it's my job to lay out the probabilities and what I see here coaching thousands of people. And oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I have finally done the first vlog on alcohol. Took me long enough. And that's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.